All right. Uh, we welcome you, and we honor the gifts of God. Jesus ascended up on high, and he gave gifts unto men, and he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints so that the saints would be able to do the work of the ministry and edify the body of Christ. Amen. So we receive you tonight, Hope, as a gift from Jesus to us, and we receive what the Holy Spirit has to say through you. So would you just come and make yourself at home, please? Wow, thank you so much. You may be seated. Sit down, sit down. I'm just so honored to be here, and I just have already just fallen in love with your pastor's heart and their spirit. Come on, give it up for your pastor. This is your pastor. And I am so thankful that you trusted me enough to open up your pulpit and your home to come and pour into your people. Um, some of you may not even know who I am, and that's fine. Most people, I can go through any town or airport and get uh, just breeze through, not be recognized. But when I take that real tall blonde man, that is my husband, um, we just get snagged all the time. I personally think he's the most amazing pastor, the most amazing preacher, um, the most amazing revelator I've ever heard. And when I grow up one day, I hope I can be like him. Um, I'm thankful that he um, allowed me to come tonight, that he pushes me to be the best me that I can be. And I'm just so grateful for a husband like that. And so I thank God for my husband tonight. Um, grateful to be here. Honestly, I really am. Uh, like your pastor said, <clears throat> we pastor in San Jose, California. We've only been there three years but we have been in Greenville, South Carolina. This year, it marks 30 years we've been in ministry. And so I'm just so grateful to God. This year, 31 years married, three children, some in-laws, outlaws, you know, all those kind, and five grandbabies. So that's the love of my life. So, you know, once you have grandbabies, nothing else matters. You have to get up and come to work. You have to get up and go to church because you'd just rather be with the grandbabies. That's me. But I'll tell you this story. They had me here because I'm speaking tomorrow night at your Celebrate Recovery meeting. And then your pastor told me that you're in the middle of a marriage series. Have you enjoyed your marriage series? Has it helped you? So um, they've ha asked me to speak tonight because in 2013... Uh, here we are in ministry, been in ministry all those years, 2013. I come to my husband, and I just collapse. And I tell him that I had been unfaithful to him. Yeah, it gets really quiet, doesn't it? And uh, he had suspected, and we had been fighting for about nine years, and it had been really tough. Um, Worldwide ministry, Ron's on television all over the world. The church had grown to over 20,000 members. And um, the sad part is when, when I told him and we separated, I had nobody to call. I looked in my phone and I started scrolling and I had absolutely nobody to call. Because everybody in our life was employed by us. 
everybody, you know, we wrote their check and I was the one that was wrong. And so, of course, they were going to side with Ron. And, and I had nobody to call. I had nowhere to go. And I pulled out of my nice house, 7,000 square foot home at the time, and pulled out in a Range Rover with some Louis Vuitton luggage in the back, but nobody to call. And you know, it doesn't matter the stuff that you build and the stuff that you have when crisis hits your life, when tough times hit your life. And I tell people when I go around telling my story, I, I tell people and I tell churches, churches, we got to do better. We got to do better at loving people, the broken people, you know, the, that little island of misfits, you know, the broken, like none of us in here are, you know. The broken people. I had nobody to call. But the good news is, yes, I'm still married. 31 years, right, this year? So I'm here to encourage you also that no matter what you're going through, God is still big enough to reach down wherever you are and mend and fix. And that's just who he is, right? That's just who he is. That's why he had to come. That's why he died for all the broken people in all the broken places. And I was messed up. I was really a broken girl. Holy Ghost filled. Preacher's wife. I loved Jesus. And I loved my husband. And when I say that, people are like, huh? So how could you do what you did if you loved Jesus and you loved your husband? I was broken. I was broken. So I have to go all the way back. I have to go all the way back to tell you. I'm not going to go all the way back and take three hours, but I'm going to go back a little bit to tell you. My childhood was pretty bad. I was raised in a Christian home, spirit-filled, Christian family. But it was so religious and it was so strict that there were so many rules that we didn't talk about a relationship. You know, if it just looked good on the outside... If we presented well, it was one of those homes where what happens in this home? What, huh? Y'all were raised in one too? Oh, okay. So we're all raised in dysfunctional homes. So that's the sign of a dysfunctional home. It's the home that you can't talk and you can't feel. And God forbid you rock the boat. So that's the kind of home I was raised in, and the punishment was so strict. I mean, you know, you come in five minutes late or you come in drunk. The punishment was the same. It was rough. It was rough. I mean, people would go to jail today for the way I was punished. So I leave. I was raped when I was 15. Couldn't go home and tell anybody because I would be in trouble. It would be my fault. Because in my home, you had to perform. Okay? So I could not wait to leave. So when I was 18, I left and went to college. I was a singer. I got a music degree. I went to this Christian college. And I met this guy. Oh, he was the cutest thing I've ever seen. He had this mullet, this blonde mullet. Oh, my God. And he would play. He played basketball. And that mullet would just do like this down the court and I was like be still my heart 
And I went home and told my parents, I said, I think I found somebody I could marry. And they were like, Hope, no, you haven't. And my mom had always told me, she said, you're going to marry a preacher. And I, as a little girl, I'd say, well, I ain't marrying no fat, ugly preacher. Because that's all I had seen, you know, was fat, ugly preachers. So when I came home and I told my mom, I said, and he's going to be a preacher. She said, I told you. I said, but he ain't fat and he ain't ugly. So, you know, the rest is history with that. So uh, I married Ron in 1990. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We think that just because we change our name and we change our address that everything's going to be different. But here's the thing. We take everything that we are and everything that we've been taught up to that point into adulthood. Everything that's been done to us, everything that's been taught to us, all the words spoken over us, every, everything that we believe about God and people and love and Jesus and church, and, and we take it into our adulthood. And here's the thing. When, when I fell and when things started happening to us, everybody were, would look and say, how? how did, I mean, everything looks so great. You know, they got a great big church. They got cute kids. They drive right. They, they finally can go out to eat now. I mean, we lived on missionary money for so long. We raised our kids on the WIC system. I mean, that's the cheese that don't melt. I know none of y'all in here ever been on that, but we were on it. You could bounce it. You hear me? It don't melt. It's not even cheese. One day we're going to find out what it is, but it's not. But we raised our kids on that. Y'all, we didn't have a pot to pee in nothing we had nothing and God had finally blessed us I mean times were tough we were working so hard we started with three people and then God had finally blessed us and here's the thing this is the way I describe my life you know if you ever if you've ever built a house or anything you know you can build it and the carpet is just plush and amazing your your curtains match your wallpaper you know what I'm talking about women everything looks so good you got your furniture you got to go shop somewhere other than rooms to go you got to go to a real store you know and get your furniture and it's nice everything's you got a wolf stove you didn't have to go to Lowe's that kind of thing you know and it looks great from the outside but if you have a cracked foundation shoddy plumbing electrical wires that don't connect behind the walls eventually that beautiful house is going to start having some problems. And that was my life. That was my life. Everything that had happened up to that point, we had swept under the rug. I never got help for the rape. I thought it was my fault. I was so confused. You know, I, I, I knew I was being raped. But then after I left, I was like, was I really? Is that really? Did that really happen to me? Or is, did I say okay? And I... Did I say yes, but I meant no? I mean, it was so confusing. So we don't talk about it. How many of us have had so many things in our life that we can't reconcile, but we just sweep it under the rug and we just go tiptoeing into our future thinking everything's going to be okay? Especially in church, right? Because I was raised in a church. You come to an altar, you shamalamadingdong, fall out, and get up and everything's fine 
right? And if nothing, and if it's not fine, something must be wrong with you and your faith. We weren't raised in the church. I was raised Pentecostal holiness. I mean, where if it makes you grin, it must be hallelujah. Everything was wrong. Everything was wrong. So you had to present perfect when everything was not right. Today, we have marriages falling apart everywhere, in the pulpit, in our churches. People get hurt. People get devastated. And then people say, how did this happen? We don't understand. How is this happening? It's because we never took the time to get healed from childhood trauma and past trauma. We're just a bunch of broken people. We're broken people. We can powder it up. We can paint it up. We can lift it up. We can do all that, but we are still broken people. Listen, every, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that every adult problem is an unresolved child problem. This is where it started in 2004. 2004, I woke up one day. Up until 2004, I just felt the pressure. Just felt the pressure building. I was raised in the South, and my grandmama cooked green beans in a pressure cooker. Y'all know what a pressure cooker is. Y'all don't. Y'all from Las Vegas. Y'all don't cook. How you think I got looking like this? We cooked green beans in a pressure cooker. I mean, and that pressure cooker would just build and build and build. And then it would just go off. You knew the beans were ready. That's the way I was after I married Ron because I, I thought, I'm leaving all this behind. I'm going off with Mr. Mullet, Mr. Wonderful, and we are going to storm hell with water pistols. We're going to get everybody saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Everything's going to be great. We're going to build this church. But the whole time, something's going on on the inside of me, and I don't know why. And when something's going on on the inside of you, you don't know why. You can't reconcile it even with the word. And I come down to the altar, and I buke it, and it don't buke. It gets worse. And I lay down at night, and I have so much anxiety, and I have so much fear, and I don't know why, because my present situation is not causing it. My present situation's good. My husband was amazing to me, never raised his voice. I mean, we just had a, a, an amazing marriage, so I, I'm sitting here questioning, why do I feel like I feel? And in 2004, I woke up one day, and I said, I can't live like this another day. Didn't know what that meant. Did not, I, I could, didn't even know what was wrong with me. But this is what I knew. What was going on up until that point, I could not continue to do. I went from my daddy's house to Ron's house. I went from this strict house where I couldn't say or do anything, couldn't go to the sock cops, couldn't go to the proms, couldn't go to the dances because it was wrong. I couldn't wear my bokini and get me a good tan. I couldn't do all that because that was sinful. I never got to make a choice. I never got to do all these things. I just had to obey. And then I get married to a preacher. I had no idea. 
idea what that world was going to be. So I go from that into the ministry, living in a glass house where you have to be everything to everybody. And, and you're, you know, I lead worship and then I jump down and, and then I go and I teach children's church and then I gather up all the toys and take them home and wash them. And I mean, we do everything, right? And you got to smile too. Everybody's got to be perfect. And I wake up in 2004 and I say, I can't do it anymore. So you know what I did? You're going to laugh. You're going to think it's funny, but it wasn't funny at the time. This is what I did. Three things. I went and bought three secular CDs. Ooh. I went and bought a six-pack of beer. Ooh. The preacher's wife. And I went and bought a bikini. And I went down to the lake and I put on the secular music in my bikini and I rubbed Hawaiian Tropic all over me and it smelled so good and it felt so good. It really did for the first time in my life. And none of those things are wrong in themselves. I had finally just made a choice. I got to figure out this life, this what's right, what's wrong. Just because you say it's wrong, is it really wrong? And what I've learned now after thousands of dollars of counseling is that was called individuation. What I had never got to experience as a teenager from 12, 13, 14, 15 years old of being able to what they call psychologists called burn your fingers, so to speak, touch your fingers to the stove and learn some life lessons. I never got to do that. So at 35 years old, I start that process and it was not pretty. The world calls it a midlife crisis. But the truth is, it's just all those seeds planted in your life have just come out on your tree. All the hurt, all the pain, all the trauma, all the abuse, all the lies that you've taken to believe the truth, the strongholds that have been built up in your mind. And you know, number one, marriage is not rainbows and butterflies, right? You know, sometimes even now, I, I think about putting that pillow over his head in the night. You know you do too. Sometimes I could just choke him to death. And he is the best man I know. I mean, bills, kids, health problems. They annoy you. You hurt each other. Hurt people what? And if you want a good marriage, you got to get your heart healed. It's not about taking each other out to dinner more, or rubbing their feet more, or having sex three times a week, and all of the, I mean, all those things people tell you. It's about getting your heart healed. If your heart's healed, you'll be able to love people. Love is supposed to flow. God's love is supposed to flow, but, but hurt after hurt after hurt, it just builds up stones in our heart. And we, and we have terrible relationships. It's not even just about marriage. It's about relationships. If you have trouble keeping friendships and relationships and people at work and, and you're on your second or third marriage or you're married to somebody right now that you hate, it's probably not that you hate them. You just haven't gotten healed. broken 
empty vessels trying to fill voids that only Jesus can fill. Psalm 107 says only Jesus can satisfy the longings in our soul. And what is our soul? Our soul is our emotional man. It's our mind. It's our will. It's our emotions. It's our intellect. Only Jesus can fill those voids. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Do you know what that means? It literally translates a heart that can feel. A heart that can feel. We're in marriages and we don't even empathize with each other. We don't feel each other's pain. We don't care. Why? Because our heart is not healed. Because our heart is hard from all the issues of life. What's the Bible say? Out of the abundance of the heart. It's going to come out. And it's going to be the issues of our life. Our greatest need is to love and to be loved. That's our greatest need. Is to, because we came from love. Right? We came from God is love. We came from Him. And our greatest need is to love and to be loved. And, and our emotional needs are this. And I have my books out here. I have a whole chapter on emotional needs. And what are our emotional needs? You can write them down. They're acceptance. If you, if you don't have time to write them down, you can get the book. Acceptance, affection, approval, affirmation, attention. I'll say it again. Support, appreciation, respect. And you cannot give what you do not have. And this is where we learn these 10 emotional needs. It's in our mom and dad's house. That's your first revelation of what love is. It's what you did or did not get from your parents. And so many of us, even in church, we're brought up in single parent homes. We didn't even get the love, the affirmation, the appreciation, the affection, the attention from maybe not our dad. We didn't even know our dad or our mom was never there. Right? And here we go. I, I describe it as internal cups. And then we go into adulthood with our internal cups empty. Or maybe just a drop. Or maybe just half full. So that internal cup sends us into adulthood empty. And we go over here and we try to find something to fill it. And we go over here and we think, uh, if I could just get that job, or if I could just live in that neighborhood, or if I could just drive that car, if I could just get a Louis Vuitton, I'm tired of carrying a Louis Vuitton. I want a real Louis. I mean, I know I would feel so loved and appreciated if he would just give me one of those. The greatest gift you could give your spouse is your willingness to dig deep and to get healed. You say, I don't have any problems. It's all him or it's all her. If you have problems in your marriage, if you have relationship problems, it is a sign that you have a stony heart. What is a stony heart? It's a heart that can't feel. It's a heart that's not healed. John 10.10 10 says this. He says, 
The thief comes to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Bottom line, I was not living the abundant life of God. I was dreading every day that I got up. And I was working in his kingdom, serving him. But miserable, broken. That is where the majority of the church is. And we are so embarrassed to admit it. We're so embarrassed because we want to present perfect because we want our pastor to think that, oh, we our marriage is great and we got it all together and we're the biggest tithers and, oh, I know all this scripture. I was leading with a limp. And it was miserable. It was miserable. And if you are not living that abundant life of God, I am here to tell you, I am a witness that you can. That nothing is too difficult for God. You say, Hope, you don't know my situation. You don't know my husband. Or you don't know my wife. You don't know what I'm going through. I promise you, nothing is too difficult. And I'm also here to tell you, if you don't fight, then you don't win. Listen, I, I was at a crossroads when we separated. I had no hope that I, I had no hope that I would ever hold a microphone again, that God would ever use me. There was no hope of reconciliation for my marriage. My husband stood up October 13th, 2013 and told our church and the worldwide ministry that he did not have any plans for reconciliation. He said, I love my wife, but living with her is too painful. I left and went to that. I went to a ministry facility. I, you know, I had nowhere to go, no place to, nobody to call. But then I remembered that place we sent all the other crazy people to. I said, oh, yeah, there's that place, you know, that we sent them other broken people to. I, I, I'll try to call them. So I called them and, and I said, I just need a bed. I don't want any ministry. I just need a bed. I was just needing some time to figure out what I was going to do, where, what I was, where I was going to go from here. And I remember two days into it, I cried out to God and I said, God, I don't know if you'll ever use me again. And I don't know if you will ever reconcile my marriage but God, I just need you to heal me. Because I can't live like this another day. I can't live like this another day. And I want you to know it was not quick. And it was not easy. But he held my hand for nine months. Nine months we were separated. I had no money. Credit cards were cut up. I had no access to bank accounts. My roots, I'm telling you, I look like a crack whore. <laughs> For real. My fingernail 
Acrylics grew all off. I had no car. He came and got the car. I had no cell phone. I had to ask permission to get to go to the store and buy feminine products or a comb. At 44 years old, God reduced me to nothing. But he met me there. And I'm telling you, if you are willing to come clean with God, and if you are willing to say, God, you may not, I don't, I'm not worried about him. And I'm not worried about her. I'm sitting them way over here in the corner. But God, I'm asking you, if you do nothing else, I need you to heal me. He will meet you there. It's not church. It's real. It's you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus. My life's never been the same. My life has never been the same. God's opened up doors for me that I don't even know how to explain what God's done for me. I've ministered to 100,000 people in Pakistan. And 77,000 of them gave their life to Jesus three years ago. In one night crusade. God's allowed me to go into missions all over the world. I've given my life to help people who could never do anything to help me back. Who could never repay me. Everywhere I go, people say, what's your fee? I say, I don't have a fee. I don't do this for money. My book, everything that is sold from my book goes to feed people in the Dominican Republic in Colima, Mexico. I don't take a dime from any of it because I'm so grateful to, for what God's done in my life or what he's done for me. I told him, I said, God, if you will do this, Lord, I will spend the rest of my life telling people what you told me. I said, God, I don't know how you can do it. And a few days into it, I was reading my Bible. I went all the way back to Genesis, and I was reading the Joseph story. And I got to Genesis 50, 20. Go back and read it tonight if you can, if you have time tonight. But you know what they did to Joseph? They threw him in a pit. He was lied on. He went to prison. He got out. He went back. But he never, listen, God, no matter what, how, you could not keep him down. And his brothers all did it to him. In Genesis 50, 20, this is what he said. You know, preachers say it like this, what the devil meant for evil. That's not what the scripture says. He looked at his brothers when they came to get food and he said, what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for my good, comma, and for his glory, comma, and for the salvation of many. That is the promise God gave me. He said, hope if you'll tell your story. He said, it'll be for your good, for my glory, and for the salvation of many. I said, God, I'll be the lamb. I'll be the one. God, you can spread my news all over the world because, God, I'm going to tell everybody. If you'll get clean with God, he'll get clean with you. Woo! Nothing is too difficult for God. And if you don't fight, you don't win. There's some marriages in here tonight that's hanging on by a thread. There's some people walking through marriages tonight like mummies. Let me tell you something. 
God did not design marriage to be tolerated. God designed it to be celebrated. He came for the abundant life of God, not just in your finances, not just more than enough in your finances. You're supposed to have more than enough in every area of your life. And tonight I want to pray for you. I can't shemalamadingdong over you and you leave and everything's fine in your marriage. That's not how it works. But there sometimes is a, a genesis, a starting over, a, a beginning point where you say, okay, I'm going to swallow hard and his grace is sufficient for me. I'm going to start doing something different so that I can get a different result. And it's not about going out to eat and giving each other gifts and saying sweet things. It's about you working on you and them working on them and you pursuing God like you've never pursued him. You saying, God, do in me. Heal me. Dig down deep in me, God. Why am I the way I am? God, take me back to two years old. Take me back to four years old. Take me back to 12 years old. All of that, all of that we drag into our adulthood and it affects who we are today. I want to pray for you. All right, I, I've become, I was really bold up here and I told you all my junk. I want to know who's bold in here to say, I'm ready for God. I'm ready for God. To do something so real and so raw in my heart that it can't help but change my marriage. It can't help but change everything in my, in my every relationship I have with my parents, with my children, with my marriage, with my co-workers. It changes everything about you when you get really raw and real with Jesus and let him dig down deep.